Uh, the, the scripture tonight is from Revelation 17, 1 through 6, 15 through 18, 18, 1 through 5, and 19, 1 through 3. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and averse abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, or the prostitute is sealed, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, and devour her flesh, and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of earth. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich with the power for luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. All right, welcome, bow your heads. Um, dear Lord, thank you for this night and that um, we're able to meet despite the weather. I just pray that um, you would speak through Brian and your spirit would just be at work in our hearts and we will come away with a, a greater knowledge of and appreciation for your love for us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Walker. And now, uh, welcome to like are you a fireside chats? We're just going to have a, a very close community. I'm glad you made it. The uh, I checked the weather right for it. The worst is over. But if for some reason a siren goes off, we're going to obey school rules. That would mean there's a warning. We'll we'll stop and gather. But it should be over. Um, okay, what Walker just read is wild, right? Uh, the great Southern uh, short story writer, S.A.S. Flannery O'Connor, uh, and one of her things uh, when she was asked about why so many of the figures that she, uh, the characters that she uses, if you've ever read her, you know the story, like, they are kind of bigger than life. They, they're, they're almost so bizarre and sometimes grotesque that they shock you. And what she said is the reason she writes like that is that if someone is almost blind, you have to draw characters that are so big but simple that they'll see them. 
And what she was saying was not a simple physical blindness. She was saying that if somebody is actually blind and numb to reality, the only way that you can capture their attention, their imagination was, was something over the top. I think that could be said for what like Walker just read in Revelation 17, 18, and 19. Again, REF has been canceled a few times. We've gotten behind. And so we're fast-forwarding from Revelation 12 to Revelation 17. And what we missed is the dragon, Satan, the one who hates God and hates his people and hates this world. He's been defeated, but he's wreaking havoc. And Revelation 13, 14, they show you that how he wages war through these two beasts, okay? Political power that intimidates you, that says if you follow Jesus, you'll suffer, and then false teaching. And then the third way that Satan wages war is through this wild image that's supposed to capture your attention that's the great prostitute, right? That is, it's drunk and it's attractive and yet it's consuming things. And I just want to suggest that this picture that is, seems bigger than life, John is saying, again, like he's always saying in Revelation, hey, things are not as they seem. If you'll see what, this, what the great prostitute is showing you, it'll explain why if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, why following Jesus is so hard. This is why. Because this thing is all around you. And if you're here tonight and you're investigating Christianity, probably if you're here tonight, you love Jesus. There's date parties. There's like severe weather. I, I think it's only the Christians that are here tonight. But hopefully not. We're always hoping that uh, people are coming to investigate uh, Jesus. And if you are, I hope you listen because this will tell you what Jesus offers, but why it's hard. So just three things about this passage, okay? We're going to answer three questions. Who is this great prostitute? How does she influence us? And how should we respond to her? Who is she? What's her influence? And how should we respond? Okay, who is the great prostitute? The Apostle John, right, sees this over-the-top image of this woman dressed in beautiful clothing. She's covered in jewelry. She's seated on a scarlet beast upon many waters, and she's holding this golden cup that's filled with abominable things, and she's intoxicated. And here's the key. Verse 5, it tells you, on her forehead is written the name Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. I feel like I say this every week, but you got to remember, if you're going to understand Revelation rightly, the images are not random. They come from the Old Testament Scripture. Because who the letters were going to were churches that were very familiar with the Old Testament. And so when they hear, when they're told of kings of earth committing adultery for and with this person and, and the name is Babylon, everybody who knew the Old Testament would think, oh, Babel, Babylon. It's a huge Old Testament thing that starts all the way back in Genesis 3 with the Tower of Babel, right, root word for Babylon, Here's what happens. God commands the people to spread out, to fill the earth, to glorify and make God's name great. And instead, they rebel and they clump together and they build a city and a tower. It's not that there's anything wrong with cities. It's what they're doing. And they say, let's make, a, let's make a name for ourselves. And so Babylon becomes this metaphor of trying to live independently of God. Trying to make a name for yourself. And as you follow throughout the Old Testament, Babylon becomes the massive empire that actually topples Israel and it's known for its idolatry. So this, this woman, this great prostitute, this Babylon, it is just a description 
of worldliness. Because all worldliness is, is tempting you to live in a way that is apart from Jesus. It's saying, make a name for yourself. Like, make a name for yourself through popularity. Be happy through success. Protect yourself uh, by having enough money. Live for pleasure. Pursue all those things. And you'll be safe, happy, and protected. And for John, there's no doubt in the first years, when they heard Babylon, the city that's built on kind of the lure of the world, they would have thought Rome. But, right, the name is the mother of prostitutes, which means there's more Babylons coming after Rome, which, like we've seen in so much of Revelation, Babylon, the prostitute, is just a symbol for worldliness that will characterize all of history until Jesus comes back. And so the prostitute is the world, not like the world in the sense of God's good creation. But the, but the call that goes out, and maybe this sounds weird, from Satan, from the world that tries to convince you and me that this horizontal stuff, that if you live for these things, these good things that God made, but if you live for these good things, they will satisfy you. They will make you safe. They will give you a name. And you'll be happy. That is worldliness. That is Babylon. That's the great prostitute. So my friend uh, Ricky Jones, uh, he reminded me of a movie actually from my like teenage years. I can, I cannot recommend this movie. Okay, I'm going to say this over and over again. Cannot recommend it. But what it involves um, is a guy who is a hotshot young lawyer, and it opens with him in a bathroom looking in a mirror because he's about to go out and uh, into a courtroom and defend a man that has done great evil, and he knows it. And he knows this man's probably going to do more evil if he gets him off. But he decides, I'm going to defend him. And through kind of manipulation and some lawyer tricks, he he gets him off. And so then you watch the rest of his life. And he becomes this big shot lawyer. He starts rising up in the law firm. And there's always this figure behind him who is Satan, who's always kind of manipulating, always influencing, and he's making a name for himself, and he's getting tons of money, and he's getting tons of acclaim, and he has multiple fares. He's living however he wants to live. And as it starts getting to the end of the movie, you realize he's getting everything he wants, and his family has left him, his kids don't want anything to do with him, and he's an old man who's, who's lonely, sad, and empty. And then it flash-forwards back, to the beginning, and he's in front of the mirror again. And he says, I don't want that. And he walks out of the bathroom, and he removes himself from the case, and says, in in good conscience, I cannot defend this man. And then what happens is he starts being celebrated. He gets gets an interview from from some reporter, and he's known as the lawyer with conscience, and then he, 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 he runs for a political office, and he gets all the success, all this acclaim. And then you see the same figure who is the devil standing in the background and he's smiling. And he says, I got you in either way. Vanity is my favorite sin. And it's this just powerful picture that, again, I don't recommend seeing the movie, okay? (laughs) But you see how the worldliness works. What the great prostitute does. It calls out to you and says, I don't care how you go about it. I don't care if you pursue happiness, worth, security through being good and right and religious and better than other people, or if you pursue happiness, worth, and security by being immoral and bad. As long as you're pursuing life by being self-absorbed, prideful, self-sufficient, and and pursuing self-gratification, that's it. 
That's the world. The world says, I have you. And so John shows us that image, or Revelation does, by, by signaling it as this great prostitute. Saying, build your life on the created world. Build your life on anything besides Jesus. Give your life to money, to comfort, to beauty, to the perfect family, to being better than other people, and you'll be okay. That is the lie of the world. And that's what, that's what the great prostitute is. And it's powerful. So how does, the, how does this uh, woman, this worldliness, influence us? If, it's, if this prostitute is a symbol of how it works, what you see is that her influence is pervasive, right? Look at verse 15. She's on these waters, and the waters are multitudes of people and nations and languages, which is this picture of no matter what time period, no matter where you are, like worldliness is around you. It's calling out to you. And it is, man, it's true at all this. Right? You are bombarded everywhere with messages that say you are incomplete, you are useless unless you acquire fill in the blank. Unless you acquire beauty, you're incomplete. Unless you acquire the right friends, unless you have a perfect family, unless you have great sex, whatever it is, you're incomplete. You don't have the good life. You're not safe and protected. I, like, I don't think I have to be. Make, like convince you that that's everywhere. But why is her influence so far and wide? This is what's interesting. It's because of two things. First, it's because worldliness is incredibly attractive. It's incredibly powerful, right? This is why a prostitute is a great symbol of worldliness. A prostitute, what does a prostitute do? Makes himself or herself attractive to allure you in. And so you see that this, this woman is dressed in uh, beauty and, and, uh, and kind of scarlet robes and adorned in jewelry, saying, if you will come to me, it'll be worth it. You'll be happy and satisfied. And the reason that worldliness is so attractive and so powerful, because here's what it does. It taps into your desires, and your desires are good. Like your longings for beauty your longings for comfort, your longings for intimacy, for worth, to know that what you do matters, all that stuff is good. All that stuff is a reflection of being in the image of God. And so what the world does is it taps into those desires, and then through the influence of Satan, it says, hey, I can satisfy those desires through creation rather than the Creator." So all worldliness does is it taps into your desires and then elevates things of this world, not from good things, but to things that you have to have. And that's why it's so attractive. That's why it's powerful. So here's how it works, right? The desire to be known is a great thing. The desire to have friends is good, to have comfort. All that is great, and it's powerful. But the message that will pound you here is, for example, maybe during Greek recruitment, There's an intense pressure that says, you will be a nobody unless you join this, unless you get into this thing, unless you become part of our organization. But if you'll build your life on us, we'll make you happy. That's the message. I love my Greek people. I feel like I always need to say that. But that message is like pounding you to be successful, to do work that matters. That's a good desire. But you realize like the Croft Institute and Honors College, it's calling out to you saying, hey, if you want real life, if you want everlasting happiness, if you want a future that'll protect you, give your life to academic prestige and the right resume 
you'll get it. We'll give it to you. And that's really attractive. It taps into a good desire. Here we go. Ready? TikTok. It's telling you. You ready? If you want to have value, if you want to be satisfied and protected and secure, I'm going to show you how relevant I am, become that girl. That girl wakes up early, works out four or five times, uh, has um, you know, smoothies for breakfast, and uh, uh, has a very disciplined life that journals, meditates, and, and uh, you know, has a great schedule. And you're just incomplete unless you have this. That's what's being held out to you. And the reason that the world is so influential is that, first of all, I have sin in me. So that's attractive because there's something in me that wants to live independently of God. But also it's because it taps into your good desires. And so it feels like it works for a while. Right? A prostitute presumably brings pleasure. And worldliness certainly makes you feel good. It seems like it works because it's tapping into a desire with actually good things. It's kind of like Oxycontin, all right? (laughs) People who have had Oxycontin, who have undergone, like, addiction to painkillers makes so much sense to me. Because if you're in real pain, right, what does Oxycontin do? It relieves the pain. It does. It seems to satisfy. But it doesn't heal the thing that's in, within. It doesn't fix what's broken. But it's powerful. It works. And that's how the world works. So look, again, it, it doesn't matter if it's independence going immoral or independence going moral. If you get married one day and you start reading Christian books on marriage and parenting, I want you to know, like, it feels so good to know that you're doing marriage right and you're raising kids the right way. It feels so good to pursue worldliness through doing it the right way because you just get to look down on everybody else. All those other people that aren't doing it the right way. Mm, look at them. And it feels great. And it feels great to like do the right things in college. Not out of humble love for Jesus. But because it makes my life work and it makes me feel better than other people. And I'm going to tell you, it feels like it's working. It, it, it kind of gives you a sense of confidence and it kind of makes you feel secure. To have somebody be attracted to you, to have a girl or guy interested in you wanting to go out with you, of course it feels great. It's supposed to. It should. And if you build your life on it, it seems like it's going to work. It's powerful, but it's enticing like a prostitute. And so first, worldliness is so influential because it's actually attractive. It's powerful because it taps into good desires, but it just says things of this world will satisfy. That's the twist. But here's the second thing. It actually has such influence because it deceives you. It deceives you and actually uses you, right? The picture is that this this woman is drunk with abominations and we see part of what's making her drunk. Do you see this? It's the blood of the saints. So the world is enticing people saying, come to me, like build your life on me. I will make it worth it. And yet she's consuming them, which is right. That's what a relationship with a prostitute is like. Both parties just use each other. They don't love each other. One wants money, the other one wants just pleasure. But the thing that is true is neither one cares about the other. And that's what, like, this is saying the world does not love you. It doesn't care about you, and it certainly won't forgive you if you fail. 
You're just a customer to the world. And that's the deception. The trick that worldliness plays on us is it makes you think that it cares about you. It makes you think it loves you, but it doesn't. It'll actually always take from you and eventually leave you empty. That's the deception. So it's like, it's like fishing, right? What's the point of fishing? You have a hook, something that's dangerous, but you cover it with bait that hopefully hides the hook. And so when you throw it out, the hope is that it looks attractive to enough to a fish that they do not see the hook, they bite the bait, and then they're hooked. Old, old theologian Thomas Brooks said, one of Satan's devices, he always presents the bait and he hides the hook. Or you could say he always pre- pre- presents the golden cup and he hides the poison. And so it works like this. Worldliness says money will make you secure and it'll give you notoriety and protection. There's nothing wrong with money. Actually, if you're wealthy, it's a great way to bless the world. But the way that it begins to work is you start thinking, okay, if I could just have a little bit more, like if I could have $10,000 more, then all my anxieties would be, be over. Then I won't have to worry about anything. And the prostitute of worldliness is deceiving you. Because when you get that $10,000 more, here's what you'll find. I've actually got more things to care about. I've got more anxieties. And I'll think, if I, if I just had a little more, and that's the hook. It never delivers. And what you'll realize is you're becoming greedy and it's consuming you. Or we think if I lose one more pound or if I, or if I gain five more pounds of muscle, whatever it is, then I'll finally be satisfied. I'll finally be protected. I'll finally have worth. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's an illusion. Because it's deceiving. Because if you become that person, tomorrow you have to wake up and be that person again. So I'm going to read you a quote from somebody who actually attempted to be that girl. Okay? This is from Vice. Here's what she said as she attempted to do it. I tried to carry out the tasks theoretically assigned to me and also felt the mounting pressure that came with carrying them out perfectly. There was no room for screw-up. We all know that appearance and reality are not necessarily the same, but the more I tried to achieve the protection, this perfection this trend asked for, the more I felt like it just wasn't enough. And that's the slavery. Look, if someone disappoints you, if someone wrongs you, that hurts. That's a wound. And worldliness will say, don't forgive that person. Because it feels so good. It does. It feels so good to have somebody underneath you. It feels so good to feel better than somebody. And to hold a grudge, it just, it feels great. And it feels like it'll protect you and keep you safe. And it works at first. But then it starts dehumanizing you. Because then it starts affecting your relationship, starts isolating you from that person or from family members. And instead of protecting you, it slowly consumes you. Worldliness is deceitful. It offers you something. It feels like it works, but it's never enough and it ends up enslaving you and consuming you. That's the picture. It's actually... Okay, it's like a hangover. Has anybody ever heard of a hangover? All right. A hangover, if you ever drank too much... You wake up and you feel awful. Let me describe this for you. You feel awful. The reason that you feel awful, do you know this? It's because you're dehydrated. So here's the irony. You're drinking a ton of liquid, but you wake up, feel awful because you're dehydrated. It's working against you. That's the way worldliness works. It offers you something. It says, I'll give it to you. The more that you get it, it actually, it actually is saying you just need more and more and it's destroying you. 
So how should we respond to it? Like, what does it look like to kind of see behind the veil and say, oh, this is what John is wanting me to see. This is why it's so hard to follow Jesus because it's all around me. The only way to break the power of deception is to shine the light on it and to show what, what is true. Bring it out of darkness. That's what Revelation is doing. Revelation is saying, I want to show you what worldliness really is. So think about um, if you've uh, ever seen the Christmas Carol. Hopefully you have. This is what the ghost of Christmas future does. The ghost of Christmas future shines a light on Scrooge's worldliness, right? He's living for money. He's living as if money is his security and going to make him okay. So the ghost of Christmas future takes him into the future and shows him what his life is going to be like. And he shows him his tombstone and he shows him that nobody cares about him and that he dies in a place of loneliness, destruction, and misery. And it shines the light on what, what that kind of living will do. And God loves us so much, he wants to shine a light on the, on the worldliness and he shows us what's going to happen to the prostitute. In chapter 18, you hear fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then chapter 19, you see the great prostitute is judged and destroyed forever. That's a kindness that God is showing us. If you look at, this, this is fascinating. If you look at chapters uh, 17, verse 16 and 17, Look how the destruction of worldliness happens. Babylon falls, the prostitute is judged, and if you're like me, you think, okay, God drops the hammer. No. It says the beast she rides on and the kingdom she influences end up devouring her. Worldliness ends, worldliness is judged by being consumed by itself. It eats its own tail. Like, Revelation is saying, if you want to know the end of worldliness... It ends up destroying itself. God's judgment is it just lets worldliness eat its own tail. Because the more we feed on something that is not real and good and eternal, namely the triune God, the more that we feed on that which cannot sustain us and it ends up destroying us. So again, this might sound odd. Okay, I'm stealing from Ricky again. But so often if we think about the temptation of the world. I don't know, something like, like lust. We just think, okay, stop, stop, stop. I, I, gotta, I gotta distract myself. And there can be a place for that. That's great. But I think actually this is saying shine the world on it. Like think about it. The next time that you're, I don't know, think about diving into pornography. Think about it. Think about, like think it out. If you dive into it, how are you going to feel the next morning? When you wake up, are you going to be satisfied? And keep on going. If you give yourself to a life of that, where is that going to lead you? I want you to think it out. There is actually an epidemic in our world of sex going down. Do you know why? People are blaming it on porn. And so that destruction, that isolation, that addiction, I actually think you're supposed to think it out and shine the light on what it's actually doing to you. Or what about like the, the party life? And I like, I know, I know, I know. I, like, man, I, I love you. I'm sympathetic. And we say it's just college right now. I mean, I'm not an alcoholic. And you're probably not. I just like to party. I'll stop after college. But just think it out. Like, think out the implications. Shine a line on it. Like, if, I, if, if alcohol is the way I ease myself in social settings so I can be okay, I'd just imagine if it doesn't stop. Like, picture that guy in the grove at 50 who at 2 o'clock in the afternoon already has a buzz and is checking out college girls. Seriously. Like, think it out. That's where it's headed. And let it shine a light on it.
What about having a perfect life, being better than others and having a great family and great kids? Shine the light on it. That life is plastic. It's a life that feels like you always have to have it together because you're better than other people. There's no freedom to fail and you'll have kids that smile to the world, but they're full of anxiety because they better be successful and good. Like, shine the light on it. That's what Revelation is saying. Babylon's destruction, it eats its own tail. It's sobering, but it's part of the key. And so as it shines the light on it, the other thing that it's doing is it's saying, come out. Come out of Babylon, right? That's what Revelation 18 says. Part of responding to worldliness is to realize, of course worldliness is influencing me. Of course it is. The question is, how is it? Can I see it? Can I acknowledge what's going on in me? And I probably can't do that alone. I probably need to invite friends around me or others to speak into my life to help me see the way that the world is influencing me. That would be a great thing. It's influencing me, I guarantee, and I guarantee it's influencing you. And then the last response, and this is the good news, the last response is to worship. Worship, yes. The, re- look, the reason that worldliness is characterized as a prostitute is not because sexual immorality is somehow the ultimate sin. Okay, that's not what's going on here. It's because worldliness is a counterfeit to the real thing that we're going to talk about next week. Babylon is a counterfeit city of the real eternal city that is Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, that begins with a wedding feast of the Lamb. That's why this is a prostitute. And so Scripture never looks at you and just says, hey, just stop it. Stop being worldly. It always invites you to something better. It's saying as long as you're pursuing this city, you're going to miss the great eternal city that is to come. The one that will forever satisfy you. The one that begins with a wedding to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one you were made for. So the Bible says don't deny your longings for intimacy. Don't deny your longings for comfort or approval or beauty. It just says orient those desires towards the one you were made for, the Lord Jesus. And do you want to know the good news? Like Jesus shines the light on what is true about worldliness. We're coming up to Good Friday, if you know that. What happens on Good Friday? If you want to know what, what worldliness is like, look at Jesus, who is light himself, who came into the world and he, he lovingly called religious people away from the world. And you know what the world did to him? It killed him. It hated him. And the world hangs him on a cross. But that death, And man, this is good news, okay? That death was for people like me and people like you. People who are enticed and entrapped by the world. Jesus gets shrouded in darkness and takes what we deserve so that you can receive grace. Like grace for sinners, like real sinners. And Jesus is saying, come out of Babylon. Babylon doesn't care about you, but I do. I love you. I love you to death. And I forgive your failures and I wipe away shame. I came for those who are entrapped. And so it just always makes, maybe it's because I've got kids and daughters, but it just makes me think of of, uh, Tangled and Rapunzel. Every good story points to the gospel. You realize this, right? But think about Rapunzel. I'll end here. She's entrapped in a tower by somebody who claims to be her mom, but that person doesn't love her. She's actually using her. And the way that she keeps Rapunzel trapped, what is she, what's she saying? Hey, if you leave me, if you leave my protection, you're going to be swallowed up. 
That place out there is scary. Stay in here. I'll protect you. I'll love you. And what Rapunzel needed was someone from the outside, namely Flynn Rider, to come in and to break the deception and say, she doesn't care about you. I'm the one who loves you. Come out of this tower. Come out of this prison. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm the real thing. Jesus is the opposite of everything that the prostitute presents. The prostitute treats you as a customer. The world treats you as a customer. It's only interested in what you can give it. Jesus is, Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is not interested in using you. I actually don't like when we use that language. Jesus loves you and wants to heal you and cover you with his grace. It's a delight for him to give. Which means it costs you nothing to come in a relationship with Jesus because it cost him everything. He gave it all. And he's saying, come out. I want better for you. I'm real. And look, it is just like Rapunzel. Like, if you have been entrapped in worldliness for a long time, it's scary. It was scary for Rapunzel to step out of the tower. All she knew was this world. And if you begin to step out of worldliness, it is scary. It is. Because you've built your life on these other things. But I'm telling you, Jesus will hold you. I'm telling you, he's good enough. He's real. And he loves you enough to show you the true color of worldliness, but he loves you enough to to show you that it's in his arms that you'll find real life. And he died for you, and he loves you, and he's coming again to bring the new Jerusalem and the wedding that will never stop, which we'll study next week. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, this uh, passage is heavy. Uh, I know it is. Uh, It exposes the truth about the world, exposes the truth about how we're all enticed by it, we all, man, we just all have stories. Uh, but deep down, would you convince us that you're more beautiful, you're more real, you're more powerful than the world? And would you, would you capture our imagination tonight with grace? Would you help us to see worldliness for what it is? And would you help us to see you for who you really are, the holy and perfect one who wants to be with us, who is full of grace and full of truth and who forgives and heals? Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen.